Film listeners, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. Happy October, one and all. We are in the fall season. It is spooky season all the way. And to kick it off, I am giving you guys a diary entry covering the films that I watched from September 16th all the way through September 30th. Got a lot of good stuff here. Uh, Before we dive right into that, just a couple announcements. If you like the show, by all means, be sure to uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a rating review on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram at Frankly I Love Movies and at Frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. I also wanted to give you guys uh, an update on some upcoming episodes. For the rest of the year, the show will be weekly. I'm going to have these diary entries up every other Thursday and new standalone episodes every other Tuesday. So this one is coming out a little later on October 6th. And then on October 11th, I'll have out a brand spanking new standalone episode. And I mentioned in the last diary entry that that's going to be on train spotting with my friend Tyler Harner. Very excited to get that out to you guys. And uh, just to constantly be putting out new content and thanks for listening as always um sounds like i'm ending the show i'm not i promise we have stuff um so anyway on to the diary entry like i said i am going through my films logged on letterboxd from um september 17th excuse me all the way through the 30th uh i stretched the deadline out for the last diary entry to talk about barbarian which just a quick again ringing endorsement please go see it if you haven't seen it it is a wonderful movie uh, and really fun. And support indie horror, please. It's good. It's so much fun. It's a wonderful theater experience. Um, but I have uh, a, quite a mix of films. You know, some I tried to stay within the spooky season feel, but I, you know, still kind of easing myself into it. Um, but starting off. On September 17th, uh, this is not a horror movie, but it is a classic in uh, in its own way. Well, not in its own way. It is a classic. And that's Big from 1988, starring Tom Hanks as a boy who wishes he were big and wakes up to be a 20-something-year-old. I have seen this movie so many times. It's very special in my family because my mom always said that she wrote her senior psychology thesis paper on big talking about the psychology of the characters how the adult characters are way more childish and the child characters are way more adult um which is obviously a very intentional point of the movie i hadn't seen this movie since i was probably in like middle school i remember watching it or being or being on a lot when i was a kid um so you know all the iconic parts i remember like the the fao schwartz piano scene or the trampoline scene or the i always love the uh the job interview uh where i was like oh gw my uh my brother-in-law got his doctorate there did you pledge and tom hanks goes oh yes every morning (laughs) probably my favorite line in the whole movie i love it it's a wonderful movie it's really fun it's incredibly funny uh tom hanks's performance really stood out to me on this rewatch because i remember 
Um, you know, he was nominated for an Oscar for this role, and this was kind of the real shift to make him a, a big movie star, you know, after doing Man With One Red Shoe and Bosom Buddies, and uh, I believe The the Burbs was this year, too. Um, or maybe The Burbs was the next year, I can't remember. But, uh, you know, this was the real transition for him, and, and it's a really, really great performance by him. I, I forgot how good he is, like, at actually portraying how a 10-year-old would think and act in these situations you know it doesn't feel like it's just a an adult in this and then you as the audience member like oh he's 10 like you can tell the nuances in the performance and the dialogue that this is actually a 10 year old you know in an adult person's body and that is you know a a testament to how good hanks is in the role there's a scene where he you know is uh just moved into his apartment and he you know is crying because he misses his family and it's really effective and you know very believable i really like his relationship with his friend and how that bleeds into the fears of growing up and you know becoming an actual adult and knowing you know when your time is to move on it's a very adult movie like it's you know i think you can it's too easy to say that it is just a dumb kid comedy because it isn't it's i mean it's not even really necessarily for kids it's a bit more adult you know and the the thing that really is jarring to watch like in at any age is the fact that elizabeth perkins you know has sex with him and you have to kind of wrap your mind around that and you know how just gross and it makes it even worse towards the end when uh josh returns his name is also josh which is great um but Josh returns home to his house and he literally like completely transitions from being a man to a boy like uh, wearing it's it's really weird. And again, she watches this and it's just kind of gross. Like that's definitely the point where you're like, oh, I, I don't know about that. Uh, and, you know, obviously you can't you can't change the movie. But nevertheless, it's still a classic and a really lovely film and very funny and just a great time. So I gave it four stars. I gave it the like. Um, and yeah, it was just a really fun rewatch. The next day on September 18th, back to the spooky season, I rewatched An American Werewolf in London, John Landis's 1981 werewolf classic about two American backpackers who get lost in London and are attacked by a werewolf and uh, have to basically deal with the consequences. I hadn't seen this movie since I was in high school. I've actually only seen it once, and I remember watching it in high school and thinking it was really weird and, um, you know, very slow in a way, but, like, the interesting parts were incredibly interesting. But I, I, I had a feeling that rewatching it as an adult, I was going to enjoy it way more than back then, and God damn it, I did. I love this movie so much. It's probably the best werewolf movie out there. I need to see more. There's definitely... That's definitely um, a shortcoming in my horror movie, um, you know, vernacular is werewolf movies. I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of really good ones out there. I know people like uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, I, uh, the uh, original Wolfman movie um, is re- with Lon Chaney is interesting. And of those, you know, universal monster movies like that whole ilk but this movie is just phenomenal. It's 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 very funny. It's very disturbing. Like the violence is incredibly visceral and effective. 
The performances are really great and has, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of, uh, you know, good emotion in them of like being afraid of the fact that they're changing and, you know, adapting to the werewolf curse. And it's, and then there's just some crazy surrealist stuff with, you know, the, the werewolf Nazi dream and, and it's just so much fun to watch. It's really funny and it's, uh, so exciting and it is like the scares are really good because the the makeup is so good and the um the the violence is so like it hurts to watch um and it's just a really fucking well-made movie i was i was shocked at how well paced it was and how exciting and interesting the characters were I was just blown away by this rewatch. It, it, it may be a new Halloween staple for me. I, I kind of like, as I'm talking about it, want to watch it again, but I need to, I lean to let it sit a little bit. It needs to, you know, this watch has to kind of, uh, you know, take up some space in my mind before I can uh, return to it. But really great film. If you've never seen it, please check it out. It's perfect for the Halloween season. The scenery of, Europe and, um, you know, the, the cold, damp feel of the fall is just throughout this entire film. So it's perfect for, it's perfect for the time. So I gave it four and a half stars. I gave it the like, great movie. A couple days later on September 20th, I wanted a new watch, but I wanted to, I don't know if you guys ever have this where you start a movie and then for whatever reason you don't finish it. Um, it may not even be necessarily like a testament to the movie itself, you know, whether it's good or bad or you're just not in the mood. Could be anything. Could be, oh, something on the way, timing, you know, started in and then never returned to it. And that's happened to me on a few occasions. Um, but one example recently I knew I had to finish and it was kind of perfect for the time, um, you know, surrounding, again, the season. I wanted something a bit more modern and I wanted something that I I wasn't I didn't know what to expect going in. And so I watched Climax, uh, Gaspar Noe's movie from 2018, all about a dance troupe that takes that drinks some sangria that has been laced with LSD and they have just a really, really bad time. And I had started this back a couple of years ago, I think maybe in 2020, but I uh, started it later in the night after I had been drinking and I fell asleep a little too quickly. And I I remember the opening interviews and dance sequence. So I hadn't even got to the point where the shoe drops, you know? And I'm really glad I hadn't because that still made this movie so much of a mystery for me going in. And I was like more than happy to rewatch the dance sequences. The dance sequences in this movie are unbelievable. The the, the physicality that all of these um, actors and dancers have, you know, the way that they can contort their bodies and have different dance styles and dance with each other um, is really fascinating. And it's filmed so well. But like, wow, when when the shoe drops in this movie Oh, it drops. It's because well, what's funny is, is I was it, the first like 40 ish minutes are fairly normal, right? You have some interviews of the dance troupe. 
you have like this really long elaborate one take of um, a dance routine and everyone's into it and then they start to party and you're kind of going back and forth between specific conversations and um, you know the then it starts to cut in between interpersonal relationships and you know where people are spread out at this party you're in you're listening to everyone's conversation and after a while you start to kind of, I was starting to feel the runtime a little bit I was like I at first I was like okay I want to know what makes this movie crazy right I want to I want to start to get to where um you know the the stuff starts to really go down because I'm so curious right and then around the 45 minute mark then begins a like 40 or 45 minute long single take tracking shot of just utter chaos and it's terrifying it is incredibly shocking i and you can't look away something is constantly moving and grabbing your attention and they can still move from character to character and scenario and scenario and it's wow is it it was like it was wild to watch um and it's it's really hard to put into words because i haven't seen a movie evoked that feeling before i mean i guess in a similar sense like maybe mother by darren aronofsky but like that one is still different than what this is going for and i haven't seen any of noe's other movies i haven't seen irreversible or enter the void uh, i'm definitely interested too but i know how disturbing and off-putting those films are known to be so i'm like very hesitant to get into them in a way um but this one you know only being 90 minutes and knowing at least like something about what they were like something but not even like to the fullest extent of like what happens that makes it crazy um which i won't spoil if you want to see this movie i gave it four stars but at the same time, it's like I can't like my recommendation is based on the fact that I liked the movie, but I can't in good conscience tell anyone to seek it out. I think you have to know what you know, know a little bit about Noe going in and know that this movie is just a, a bad, bad trip. You know, imagine the bad trip scene from Easy Rider stretched out for 50 minutes, you know, and there's some fucked up stuff that happens in this movie and it's just like wow so yeah i i overall i very much enjoyed it i also can't i can't give it the like for that same reason where it's like it's so well made and so uh you know ambitious and a crazy feat of filmmaking but like uh it just makes you feel like awful you know but the one thing that like really took me out of it was that there's this scene right before the stuff starts getting really crazy where there's another dance sequence and then it starts to die down and everyone breaks off. And then there's this flash of a bunch of neon logos from company logos to band names to no ways names several times. And that to me was like the film was listening to the audience a little too much in that the first 40 minutes you're like, okay, we're spending a lot of time with these characters. You know, I want, I want to, I want to see, you know, the crazy stuff. And then he's like, Oh, don't worry. I'm Gosper. No way. This movie's fucking crazy. And I was like, okay, I understand. I get it. And then after seeing the craziness and the, cra I'm not saying the craziness isn't crazy because it is, 
you know, then it kind of makes you rethink like, oh, I kind of I, I understand why we stood with or stayed with these characters for so long, because, you know, you don't want the craziness to go on for too long. You know, it's a pretty good balance of like 45 minutes being with the characters, 45 minutes of them just destroying themselves. So in that sense, I, I, I will give the film credit. Um, I don't see myself returning to it anytime soon. Um, maybe in a few years, but for right now, I'm, I'm good with the one watch, but I really enjoyed it. Like, I think it is a, it, it's tough to rate because it's like, they're like, it's really well made and it's really well done and definitely, you know, um, is effective and accomplishes what it sets out to do. Um, but like, oh my God, it was like, it was rough to get through at points. So uh, I think four stars and no like is a, is a fair rating. The next day, September 21st, I decided to go to the theater and see a movie I'd been very excited about, and that's Pearl, which is the prequel sequel to um, Ty West's film X that came out earlier this year. I really enjoyed that film. I think I don't think I was able to review it when I started doing um, diary entries, but uh, I gave that movie four stars and the like. I had a really, really fun time with it. Um, it's up there with Barbarian as like the most fun I've had in a horror movie this year. And both of them are in my top 10 of the year so far. I really enjoyed it. I was very much looking forward, um, to Pearl and, uh, I also really enjoyed this one too. Um, Mia Goth being at the center of the, of the story, you know, you really have to hope that she can sell the whole movie and being a different character than she was in X. And God damn it, she does. She is absolutely the best part of this movie. I loved watching, uh, you know, her journey and the delving deeper into the character of Pearl and understanding her backstory. And it's it's one of those things, again, where I don't need a backstory to X. But, like, it's clear that Ty West was making all of these movies to be, you know, together because it's not like, oh, X was successful. Why don't we do this? It's, it's, he's clearly going through it like with the resources that he gets in the moment. And I appreciate that. So it still feels like like this is its own movie. You know, there's not all like the callbacks and references to X are not only few and far between, but like are, are very small, you know. And so you can watch, they're, they're both their own movie, right? And if, so if you watched Pearl first and then watched X, I would imagine that it would be just as effective as if you watched them the other way around. I think the first 40 minutes or so of this movie could have been a little shorter. I think the pacing it takes a little bit to get going. I think this movie's like 100 minutes. It could have been like 90, probably. Could have taken out 10 minutes. But, you know, the second act is super strong. And the third act is really great, especially there's this monologue that Mia Goth has that is really fantastic. And she really sells it. And now they're making a, a third one called Maxine, which I think is after X, I believe. And I'm, I'm really digging this very self-referential, tongue-in-cheek slasher exploitation homage that Ty West and Mia Goth are going on together with X and this, and I'm very excited to see what Maxine uh, brings to the table. 
but I really like this one. I think X is definitely better. I gave this one three and a half stars, and I didn't give it the like. So I'd be interested to return to. It. I'm 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 real. I'm I'm realizing I'm much more interested in returning to X than I am to Pearl. Maybe that's just a recency bias kind of thing. Like on my list of like the movies I've seen this year, I have them like right next to each other, even though they're not the same rating. But like it's so hard to not pair them together, you know. But very enjoyable film. A very interesting character study. It looks really good. The cinematography is great. The colors are really fucking good. All of the actors are great. I loved the um, the actress who plays Pearl's sister-in-law, who acts as a friend to Pearl, and I really liked their relationship and her um, her energy brought a lot to the table, especially of showing how different of people and from different backgrounds they are. It, uh, it was really good. I, I very much enjoyed it, and um, I'm excited for Maxine, and I am definitely going to pick up the Blu-rays of both of these when they come out. All right, I took a couple days off movies uh, because it has been quite the busy few weeks. The theater that I'm working at is um, putting up a production of the Rocky Horror Show for the next few weekends, and it's been crazy getting everything together um, for that, but I wanted to, on a free night, settle in for a nice rewatch. This was over the weekend. On the 24th, I decided to rewatch Spider-Man 2. Why not the first one, you may ask? Um, Well, I rewatched it in quarantine somewhere in, I think, like the summer of 2020, somewhere around there. Um, So that rewatch is still very fresh in my mind. And that's another one. I mean, I've watched the Raimi trilogy so many times growing up. You know, it was like my favorite, one of my favorite things growing up was watching those movies. Um, So I have like a really good memory of all of them. But, you know, I haven't revisited these also since high school. And so it's just been fun to not necessarily like just reevaluate them. Like I, I have a good feeling I'm going to go into these movies still liking them. But, um, you know, just to be as sure of my perception of it, at least like, you know, in in um, in my adult life to know what my feelings are in this movie is kind of important to me, um, which is why I'm doing this show in the first place. Um, Spider-Man 2 is a masterpiece. Spider-Man 2 is a perfect superhero movie. It is incredible. It is easily the best spider-man movie i think it's a, it's and that may be a bold claim but like and it i can go back and forth between this and spider-verse but i like those two movies like almost equally but for very different reasons you know um and you know i'll probably talk about spider-verse on here one day but um spider-man 2 has the edge of being a very important movie to me as a kid because the first one, I mean, the first Spider-Man movie is incredibly important to me too. You know, I'd, I'd grown up with the, with Spider-Man and um, I remember when two came out, I saw it in theaters. I instantly recognized the jump in technology from Spider-Man one to Spider-Man two and noticed that like, Oh wow, this looks better. This looks cleaner. The action is well, is way more um, uh, intense and, just the budget was more, I mean, I didn't think of the budget when I was a kid, but like it, it clearly there was a step up from the first one. Right. And all these years later, it still holds up. I mean, it, 
yes, the CGI at points, you can tell there's some balloon people action going on way more in the third one, but still the emotion of this movie is still so real. The characters are so well-defined and they go through these wonderful journeys, particularly, you know, Peter and MJ, you know, the, what they do with Harry is a little lacking. They definitely could have done more. Um, but it does again, it doesn't bother me, you know, too much. Um, cause I, you know, all of the good totally overwhelms the bad for me. So it's hard for me to not give this movie a five star because it means so much to me. But I mean, a movie can have flaws and still be five stars. Like, honestly, it can. Um, and none of the flaws bother me in this movie. Um, you know, I, I love the stuff between, uh, Harry and MJ and the conflict that they're going through and Alfred Molina as Doc Ock is like maybe my favorite Spider-Man villain performance. I know I love Defoe. I love Defoe as much as the next guy, but Molina like really crushes it in this very almost Shakespearean kind of um, portrayal uh, in the emotion and the inner conflict, um, and I, I really love that. The violence in this movie is really crazy. Like, that hospital scene is still shocking. Like, you're locked to the screen and just, like, terrified at what's going on. Like, it's crazy that this isn't a, a you know, a PG-13 movie in 2004. Like, this was a movie clearly for adults, right? At least are, like, you know, m people who are more mature. Like, it's kind of crazy that I saw this in a movie theater at 6, but whatever. The story, the themes, it's such a well-written movie. It's so incredibly well-paced. It should be taught in a screenwriting class, honestly, because of the beats the characters go through and, you know, raising the stakes and how everything around Peter is just crushing him. It's just, I just, I, I love it. I love it so much. And also, I mean, I just, I love spending time in the Raimi trilogy in that world, you know, even Spider-Man 3, which, again, we'll talk about shortly, I still enjoy being with the character. Like, Tobey Maguire is my Peter Parker. I'm sorry. He just is, all right? You know, you can yell at me all you want, but that's just that's just how it goes. And, you know, I had a huge crush on Kirsten Dunst when I was a kid, but, like, she's one of the best actresses working today, and it's always great to see her. And, I mean, there's so many memes from this movie, too, but it's just so much fun and makes me feel so good inside. Because it's that good, you know, and it's not, you know, I have movies that I'm very nostalgic about that don't hold up. And I would tell you if they didn't, like, I would be very honest if they didn't while also being very clear about my emotions towards it. But and there are flaws in this movie, for sure. I'm not denying that, but none of the flaws take away from the experience for me. None of the flaws in this movie demote it. Um, it's a, it's a perfect superhero movie in my mind. So five stars gave it the like one of my favorites. The next day on September 25th, I watched Selena, which is the uh, biopic all about uh, Selena Quintiera, starring Jennifer Lopez. I uh, don't want to talk too much about this because we will be talking about this on the show very soon. Um, but this is a very solid music biopic. J-Lo's performance is really good. Edward James Almost is really good. have some issues with the, um, the ending and the framing of what happened to Selena, which is very famous, uh, you know, at this point. Uh, you know, in history of her being murdered. But um, the movie itself overall, I very much, I would say I enjoyed. I gave it three stars. I didn't give it a like. It didn't blow me away, but I enjoyed it. And I'm very excited for you guys to hear 
um, my conversation about that movie, uh, which will come out uh, later, uh, probably early next year. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. On September 26th, uh, I went to Regal because Regal was doing a Mystery Movie Monday where they show you a movie that uh, has not been released yet. It's like an early access thing, but they don't tell you what the movie is. And I was very excited about that and thought that was a great idea. Theater was packed, brought a couple friends with me, and we had our guesses as to what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be Amsterdam, just judging by the runtime. Another friend of mine thought it was Smile, but it ended up ended up being the um, Peter Fairley's follow-up to Green Book, The Greatest Beer Run Ever. This is uh, a movie about um, Chickie Donahue, played by Zac Efron, who, during the Vietnam War, travels to Vietnam to hand out beers to his friends back home, you know, to give them just like a, a gift and thank you for their service. This is one of those things where I had heard about this movie and I wasn't super stoked about it. Like it sounded like, okay, that could, that sounds like an interesting story, but like, I, I wasn't like in this context, I would have like, without this context, I would have probably never have watched this movie. And I recognized that right as the movie started. And, you know, my friends knew what it was before me, but I was like, Oh, is that that, Zac Efron movie and they're like yeah the greatest beer run ever and I was like oh okay okay and I was like well I'm not super interested in this but I'm here you know seeing it early let's have this experience our theater was packed let's have the experience and go along for the ride um I didn't really like this movie all that much uh I found it to be while at points interesting and at least it's pacing like it's a finely made movie I mean it was made, you know, there's nothing really special about, like, the way it looks or the way the story's told. At points, the pacing, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Like, we're stringing some scenes along together, all right. I think Zac Efron's pretty good in it. He's definitely um, the best part of the movie since he has to be in the center of it. But the central premise of this movie is, you know, American Idiot learns that war is bad, and that's just a story that doesn't interest me at all. You know, it's another entry, and I haven't seen Green Book, so maybe it's, like, unfair of me to comment on this, but, like, I don't know. You know, it's another entry of Peter Fairley's, like, incredibly surface-level social commentary that everyone fucking knows. You know, I did watch him, like, you know, promote Green Book and how he would just be like, you know, not all whites are racist, you know, there's some some cops are bad, some cops are good, and it's like, well, okay, but, like, what, what are you, what else are you saying, and it's the same with this, you know, he, you know, it's the start, Zac Efron is, you know, very patriotic about, like, our, our boys fighting in Vietnam, and is, you know, saying he believes in the president, and is calling out the press, and, you know, throughout this journey, those beliefs are flipped. So I just think it's incredibly surface level and was like emotionally just kind of like lacking, very empty, very childlike, very uh, just uninteresting. And I, I didn't really like it. Um, it's not like an offensively bad movie. I just find it to be very one note and surface level way more than I than I think than it thinks that it is. 
you know, I think that this movie is trying to bring some feel good, you know, political awareness to war and, uh, you know, uh, our relationships with one another. But it, it feels very much like a boomer is making a movie about war and the war that they grew up in and just. I just, I don't care. I'm sorry. I just, I was, I was struggling to care throughout watching this movie and, uh, it just was like, whatever. It's just one of the most whatever movies I've seen in a while. So I gave it two stars. I didn't give it the like, I will not be returning to this anytime soon. Even if it's nominated for Oscars, like I'm not going to rewatch it. Like I'm, I'm good. And I don't think it's going to get nominated for anything. Like I just, I just didn't care about this movie at all. September 28th, um, t- technically September 28th, but like this, I, I, this is when I logged my rewatch of Spider-Man three, but, um, I had actually watched it over the course of like three sittings or something like that, just because of timing. And this movie is way longer than it needs to be. And I was going into this movie. Like it's one of the most memed movies ever. It's one of the most talked about superhero movies ever. Um, it was a real turning point, I think for superhero movies that I'll talk about in a second. Um, but I was so excited for this movie when it came out and I loved this movie when it came out. I didn't really recognize the issues or understand the problems. Um, something definitely felt off about it compared to the second one, but I wasn't really sure what that was. Um, I always hated Topher Grace's Venom. That has definitely never changed. I think that's terrible casting. I think he's really bad. Um, but everything else I was like, okay, again, kind of just soaking in the feeling of being back in the world of the Raimi trilogy the Raimi Spider-Man world. So this time I was like, okay, don't go into it expecting to hate it or wanting to hate it. Just go in, see, see where you go. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time. Just see where the movie takes you and how you feel. And I remember like pretty much everything that happens in this movie. It's not that it's kind of just how the sequence makes me feel these days. And the, the thing is, is Yes, this movie's not that good. Like, it's it's not bad. Like, I don't think it's a inherently bad movie. It just makes a lot of strange decisions, you know? I, I think that it's a movie that has glimpses of good. Like, I honestly really do enjoy Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman. I think that that villain is very smart, and the way that they set that character up could have been a really great foil for Spider-Man. And they start to do that. Like in the second act, he kind of becomes the main um, focus. And there's that, you know, crazy fight in the subway with black suit Spider-Man. That's really entertaining and a really, really good fight. But after that, you know, he just kind of becomes this CGI monster sand thing and takes all of the character out of, you know, any interesting part of what Thomas Hayden Church was doing and because they then have to focus on Venom and they have the new Goblin and I also like the new Goblin like I don't uh I think that that makes the most sense of being the villain like Harry being the villain since they've been building that up over the course of these last two movies get Venom out of here get him out of this movie um he doesn't need to be here black suit Spider-Man yeah looks cool I'm not gonna deny that but like Oh my God, Topher Grace in this movie is is terrible. I hate watching him. I know he's supposed to be kind of this hate sink character, and so I guess in that way it's successful, but oh, I, it's so hard to watch him. I hate Topher Grace. I'm sorry. I just, I can't stand him. 
but the Venom character, I guess maybe it's just me, but I've also never given a shit about Venom, and that may be a hot take because I know a lot of Spider-Man fans love Venom. And I'm not just saying this as someone who also didn't like any either of the Venom movies that came out recently. Venom is just a character that I've never really given a shit about, and so he just takes too much time away from this movie. And yes, it is a bad portrayal of Venom, uh, for sure, but still. I just don't enjoy the scenes with Venom at all, or the idea, so just get him out. Doesn't need to be here. Um, the, the biggest thing, though, that I took away from this, and I think the root of so many of the issues with this movie, is that this is a movie for children. This is the first Spider-Man movie that is so very clearly for kids. And you can argue the first two were too, but they have the Sam Raimi horror special. Both of those movies have kind of disturbing scenes and scary moments wrapped up in this, you know, way more positive, happy superhero world than, you know, superhero movies since then. But they're made by Sam Raimi and they have creepy stuff in them, you know, and they have violence and they have visceral pain with the characters. Spider-Man 3 doesn't really have any of that, you know? I mean, it's a movie that was written by a 12-year-old. Like, th that I truly think is the issue with this movie. They have, because there's things like the the amnesia subplot and the, you know, the way that Harry, or not Harry, um, Peter is so, so oblivious to real-world issues for being Spider-Man and, like, you know, not listening to MJ and being like, you just gotta get back on the horse and, you know, everything's gonna be okay if you just gotta believe in yourself. It's just like, shut the fuck up. Literally, like, the last movie, you were contemplating your place as a hero. And this is what, like, what? It's so weird. And Rice Dallas Howard is Gwen Stacy gets thrown in there for another love triangle for no fucking reason. All of the black suit stuff and emo Spider-Man is insane i had forgotten how cringy it was it's it's so hard to like it, it hurts me it was like i was actually in pain watching the dance scene the dance stuff both of them when he's walking down the street and when he's dancing in the club like just insane that those are in this movie i was just like i was so i was douche chilling out as they say it was it was so bad like it, all of that is just it's it's written by a child. Like nothing in this movie has the maturity and the, you know, existentialism that the second movie was going through. You know, these are not adult characters. These are children. Like again, the whole amnesia subplot turns Harry into basically like a 12-year-old. And you know, again, the switch of Peter's character from being, you know, the dopey, derpy oblivious college student to slapping MJ across the face because he's mad at her is insane. It is one of the most unbelievable switches in character I've ever seen in the movie because nothing, it doesn't line up at all. And it's just, it, it, it clearly was a movie that was made for children and it just feels like it feels lighter it feels, it just has an energy, a worse energy about it. Um, and there's way more CGI balloon people that stick out, and it's just gross to watch. Um, so 
it's not the worst Spider-Man movie. I think Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2 are way worse than this movie. I also think that Far From Home is worse than this movie. Far From Home, I felt, was just an empty, like, flat, dull movie. And this at least has some some funny parts, some interesting, fun sections, um, but a lot of not very good stuff in it, for sure. And again, I enjoy just being in the Raimi world. I also just feel really bad for Kirsten Dunst that she turned into a damsel in distress once again. That's not what that character deserves at all. It's not what she deserves. She should have gotten more, and Raimi was unhappy again with a lot of the choices that Sony was making. Yeah, this movie is just a mess. It's it doesn't work. It just doesn't work overall. It's definitely not it is definitely not the worst Marvel movie for sure. I know a lot of people have it on their list of like the worst Marvel movies or the worst superhero movies, and it is nowhere near there. It really isn't. Um, I think two and a half stars is a very fair rating of this movie. You know, I, I think Fant Four Stick is way worse. Eternals is worse. I mean, I, I would rather watch this than Multiverse of Madness. Again, honestly, if we're talking about Sam Raimi sequels of superhero movies, I would way I would much rather watch this. But yeah, it's not terrible. It's definitely not very good, but it's it is what it is at this point. But it's a clear turning point because after this, most superhero movies, they're like, all right, we got to market them towards kids got to be more kid centric and here we are so <laughs> all right the final film in this diary entry i watched just a couple days ago uh which i rewatched kill bill volume one uh you'll notice a theme with a lot of these rewatches these were movies that i um hadn't seen since high school or younger and wanted to you know rewatch. um i have only seen the kill bill movies once back when i was i think 15 and i remember enjoying them but i i they never stuck with me. You know, the Kung Fu, you know, genre is not something that has ever been on my radar or something that I've been incredibly interested in. And obviously it's something that, you know, Tarantino loves and, you know, and the action in these movies is very good. I'm not, I'm not denying that. I, I would also be talking about volume two if I had finished it last night, but I only watched, um, the first half. Um, so I will uh, have that in the next diary entry. But volume one, I was I was very surprised at how much fun I had with it. You know, it's I really love Uma Thurman. I think her performance is phenomenal. It's, uh, you know, really great use of her getting back into the swing of the Tarantino story structure, you know, and how um, vignetted everything feels. And, you know, it's a collection of scenes that are strung together. And there are movies that just feel like a collection of scenes and it's bad. But in this, obviously, it's intentionally novelistic and going from chapter to chapter you know it feels like the old school Tarantino that he's kind of diverted from a little bit with his most recent three films which I'm not um knocking in any way um I kind of like that he's diverted from it with Django and uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but it was fun to get back into that world and, you know, to see the classic characters and to see how he tells certain stories and lets, um, you know, the characters breathe with a lot of pop culture references and obviously some visceral violence. There's a lot of stuff in volume two that I'm excited to talk about. Um, but yeah, the violence in this movie is wow. <laughs> the crazy 88 fight at the end. And, uh, I will say the pacing of this movie, I would this and, you know, what I've seen of volume two of a rewatch Overall, it's a it's a fairly slow moving movie, even though the action is very fast and very exciting. 
everything goes on for a little long. Dialogue scenes really are stretched out. Action sequences. Like, the whole Crazy 88 fight at this is, like, the final 20 minutes of the movie. And it, like, goes on for a very long time. Uh, And I think that's probably my biggest issue with it. You know, I love the bride storyline. I love watching her. But, you know, this feels like it's because it's supposed to be the most direct, direct, direct homage of Tarantino's filmography. You know, this era, these two movies and Death Proof, you know, are the most referential, I think, of his movies to an entire genre. I mean, most of his modern movies are obviously inspired by Westerns. But, you know, this movie being totally, you know, an homage to the Kung Fu era and um, you know, films out of Japan, you know, some of it definitely misses me. Um, it doesn't stick with me as much as his other films do. Um, so I think for that reason, I didn't give it the like, but I still, like I said, I, I very much, um, you know, enjoyed the experience of returning to it and reevaluating it. It's still not one of my favorites, uh, of his, it's still near the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but I, I will say I did like it. I, I, I gave it three and a half stars. It's still a very well-made film. You know, the, the script is great and the, the characters are really interesting to watch. I just think it's because it's based so much in a, an homage to a genre that I don't personally care about. Um, at least at this point in my life, it, I would much rather watch some of his other stuff. You know, I would I would I would much rather watch Pulp or Reservoir Dogs, you know, um, it's still a good movie though. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. And I, I would actually be very interested to see like if I watched them, if you, if I did watch them as one movie, like just kill bill, like the whole four plus hour cut of it. I think it's called like the whole bloody affair or something like that. I would much rather watch it that way. I bet it's, you know, a bit more of a full, like rewarding experience. And not to say that these movies can't stand on their own because they do, you know, volume one is a very, good standalone movie and volume two is two um but you know i find that just the pacing of this one movie um could be better i'll definitely give you guys a more in-depth review of volume two when i finish that and have it on the next diary entry but uh that is going to do it for this diary entry uh thank you guys so much for listening of course uh as i mentioned i'm getting this out to you late because we are going to be doing the diary entries every other Thursday to give myself um, some space to actually record and edit these in a timely fashion. And uh, in a few days, this coming week, this coming Tuesday, which will be October 11th, Tyler Harner and I are going to be talking about train spotting. I'm very excited to get these standalone episodes out for you guys. I have some really great ones queued up. I have a couple more to record to get to the end of the year. I hope you guys enjoy, and as always, thanks again for sticking with me and listening to the show. The show is on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Frankly I Love Movies and at Frankly underscore podcast on Twitter, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Till next time, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. (laughs) 